passive men and strong-willed women. You know, I don't even need to explain that. Because I bet you can picture somebody right now. And maybe that somebody is sitting next to you. Maybe that somebody is the person who's not here with you. I don't even need to explain what that looks like. Maybe that somebody is you. I certainly know it is me. In fact, this pattern of the passive man and the strong-willed woman is the single most consistent pervasive relationship pattern that before and I see in, in decades of counseling, especially among second-gen women. It is so pervasive. It's everywhere. So it's everywhere. We've all seen it. If, if not in your own relationships, in our own marriage, in our own dating, you've seen it within your family. Someone just posted up on Facebook, that's my brother and sister-in-law. Okay? I was like, invite them. <laughs> but I bet, I bet you, can, you see that. You see that pattern. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to grab the bulls by the horn and we're going to talk about this. Because we all know it's there. But I don't know many people, in, in many ways, my wife and I included, that have a whole lot of wisdom to interject into this relationship pattern that we see. So it's time to let God's word and God's truth and God's hope enter into this pattern. So we're going to spend five weeks. We're going to spend five weeks talking about this. This week, we're going to start with what I'm calling escaping the blame game. Escaping the blame game. And then we're going to spend two weeks. We're going to spend two weeks talking about the sin of the passive man. And then the sin of the controlling woman. I'm doing the strong-willed woman. Okay? We're going to spend two weeks talking about that, the sin of each of us. And then, but, but we can't stop there. We cannot stop at the sin. So we're going to spend two more weeks talking about redeeming the passive man. And then redeeming the strong-willed woman. Because there is redemption. I think all of us, if we find ourselves in that pattern, we have to acknowledge there is sin. But we also need to remember that there is redemption. And, and, then, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend five weeks on this. And I am really excited about this. Because, because I, I'll be honest with you, I can be passive sometimes. I don't think it's my dominant driving force now. I think it was when I was younger, we were earlier in our marriage. I think it was a kind of a driving force. So I'm sort of a in-recovery passive man. But, but like, talk to any alcoholic who's in recovery, you know that, that alcoholic in you is only a couple of mistakes away. One bad day away. And I think I, so I'm only a couple of mistakes or one bad day away from being a pretty passive man. And I'm married to a very strong-willed woman. Um, and so we've been living this out for 20 plus years. I think we'd have it figured out by now. But just to show you that we don't, okay? We had a conversation this morning at church <laughs> resolving through her strong-willedness and my passivity. 20 plus years in, and we're still wrestling through this. We do it a lot better. And that's some of the hope. For some of, some of you who have been married just a few years, you're on the younger side of things, uh, newer side of marriage, there is some hope here. Okay? And that's what I believe this series is going to be about, is taking some biblical truth and giving us some hope. Taking some biblical truth and giving us some healing 
into a, a situation, into a relationship dynamic that we see over and over again, ourselves included, that just exasperates couples. So that's what we want to talk about. A passive man and a strong willed woman. Okay? So I, I, I want to um, say a couple things here. And so here are a couple things that have run through my mind, um, embarrassing to say, more than one occasion when it comes to my marriage. Um, I won't tell her I forgot because she's just going to make a big deal about it. Guys, ever said that one to yourself? Okay? Or how about um, that, well, I don't need to worry about the money because I know she's going to worry about it. I'll just let her take care of it. And I've also asked her, I've asked before here, to, to give a couple examples of the things that have gone through her head. I have to remind him because he's going to forget and I'm, I'm going to be really embarrassed. Or, I'll just do it myself because he doesn't really even care about this thing, but I do and if I leave it to him, he's going to do it wrong anyway. So I better just do it myself. Any of those sound familiar? Gentlemen, ladies? Yeah, okay. Now there's one thing that all of these statements have in common. There's one thing that they all have in common. They all blame the other person. Think about that. They all put the root of the behavior at the other person's feet. They, they, they follow all four of those statements that we have thought many times over the years. They all have this formula. I do this because they do that. Or sometimes I do this because they don't do that. And so in other words, another way to turn this is, is this thought is if they didn't do their thing, I wouldn't have to do my thing. You ever thought that, ladies? Okay. If they weren't fill in the blank, I wouldn't have to be fill in the blank. But fundamentally, at a group, that is a blame statement. So what about you? Any of those run through your head before? Any of you thought that toward your spouse? Your girlfriend, your boyfriend? Okay? So, I mean, be honest. Be honest with yourself. Have you ever had those thoughts? If he were just more... Fill in the blank. You ever had that sentence? Okay? Guys, how about... It, it, maybe you had this thought. Man, if she just worked so... <laughs> okay? You're not sure? You're still, still not sure? Okay, let me give you a couple blame words. And then if these words are a part of your relationship vocabulary, chances are pretty good you're a blamer. Okay? First one, this one's probably my favorite, is yeah. Yeah, okay. Didn't take out the trash. Yeah, but I was busy. Okay? You don't help out with the kids. Yeah, but it was a hard day at work. So you're not denying what was said, but there's always an excuse. Yeah, but. Okay? So, so if you're a yeah, but person, then yeah, you're a blamer. Okay? Here, here's another great blame language. Should. You should be more loving toward me. You should be more understanding. You should be more of a spiritual leader. Okay? Some of you live in the land of should, which means you should all over your spouse. 
<laughs> That's on record. I pronounce that very clearly. I want everyone to say, but it's true. You, you should all over your spouse, right? If you live in the land of shoulds, and if you live in the land of shoulds, then yeah, you gotta fess up. You're a blamer. Okay. So you might be blaming your spouse. Now here's here's the good news, though. Here's the good news. We aren't the first people to blame our spouse. And we certainly won't be the last. This is a pattern that has been going on for a while. In fact, the very first story in the Bible includes spouses blaming each other. Right? And if you're familiar with the creation story, then you know what I'm talking about. So we're going to spend a little time looking at Adam and Eve, the first blamers. Okay? They are the first experts, level 10 experts at the blame game. And I think we can learn something from them. I think we can learn something when we look at what happened and where that blame came from. Okay? So I want to give you an overview of Genesis first. I, I, just the first couple chapters okay? to, to kind of set up the story. Here you go. So Genesis starts out. Genesis 1 starts out with God creating everything. Okay? Everything, heavens and earth and people and plants and little lizards and birds and everything. Okay? And it was all good. Chapter 2 sort of holds in on God creating man and woman, creating humanity. And he says it's very good. And he created this man and wife, this, this husband and wife to come together and to be perfect partners, equal partners with each other and Compliments of one another. Right? So, and, and that will be a sermon for another day. Okay, but but take my word on this: that God created an Adam and Eve to be equal partners and complements of one another. This isn't an either or thing. Okay? And so that's how Genesis two ends. Genesis three starts in where Adam and Eve living in this perfect environment. Disobey God. They disobeyed. Just flat out. God told them not to do something and they did. No bones about it. No way to, to talk yourself out of it. They plainly disobeyed God. And the results were tragic. The results were tragic. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Okay? Right after they disobeyed God. And then here's what happens. Okay, so this is out of Genesis 3. We're going to start with verse 7. And us start with, with verse 7 out of Genesis 3. If you like to follow along, you can pull out your phones, pull out your Bibles. Genesis 3, I'm going to be reading out of NIV today. Uh, Genesis 3, starting with verse 7. Okay? This is immediately after they disobeyed God. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for, for themselves. Okay, pause there. So the first thing that happens, the very first thing that happens after they disobeyed God is they realize they were naked, okay? Which, so just to get a sense of this, is beforehand, there's actually a verse that describes them. They were, they were still naked, okay? But they were unashamed. They felt no shame. And I cannot remember the last time I was naked and was not ashamed of this thing here called my body, okay? So that just doesn't that is a foreign concept to me. But they were naked and unashamed. Just walking around in the breeze. Okay? Now also they disobey God. And the first thing they see. 
is there. And they start grabbing some fig leaves and duct taping them. Just to let you know, like fig leaves were the largest leaf in, in that area. But they still were not like these are palm fronds or anything. So you can imagine them scrambling in their embarrassment. Okay? So that's the first thing that happens is they felt shame. Okay, next. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So the next thing that happens is they were afraid. They were afraid of their creator. They were, whoa, there we go. Okay, still together. Ta-da. Okay, so they were afraid. They were afraid of the one who would use to walk alongside them in the cool of the day. They were afraid of the one who had unconditional love toward them. They got really afraid. And if you think about shame from the nakedness, isn't that little more than fear? It's fear put public. Kind of create shame. So they were filled with fear. And the one thing that they shouldn't have been afraid of, the one person they should not have been afraid of, God, they were most afraid of. So they hid. They dove into the bushes. So let's hear it for the fig leaves, otherwise that would have gotten itchy. And so, so they dove into the, the, the bushes. Let's continue the story. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Knowing very well, he knew where they were, okay? He, Adam, answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam summarizes the story. I was afraid of you. I was afraid because I was naked. That my, my sin, my disobedience would be made very public, and that you would know. I was scared, okay? And now here's the important thing. Understanding this, that they were afraid, they were filled with fear, I believe this is the secret to escaping the blame game. Understand, Adam and Eve are filled with fear right now. Okay? Watch what happens next. And he, referring to God, said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And there's the first blame. He didn't say, notice he didn't deny that he ate it. This was the first yeah, but. Yeah, but she gave it to me. It's her fault. Not only that, but it's your fault, God, because you're the one who gave her to me. It's not even my fault. I didn't even ask for this. The first blame. The first yabbat said, okay, I did it, but it's not my fault. It's her fault. I did it. I did it because she did it. She gave it to me. And so he implied it. It wasn't his responsibility. It wasn't his fault. He blamed his wife. Okay? Then it just goes downhill from here. Take a look at the next one. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And I won't go too deep into the serpent, but the serpent was, was the crafty deceiver who sort of lulled and tricked and um, convinced Eve and Adam to eat that fruit. So she said the same thing. She said, Yeah, but. 
So there's the second yeah button in human history. Is okay, yeah, but the serpent, the serpent deceived me. It's not my fault. The serpent deceived me. So there's the second blame of the Bible. And what's amazing is she didn't neither Adam nor Eve denied it. Just like if you were to sit down, if we were to sit down with any of us here who have fallen into this passive man, um, strong old woman, I don't think we would ever deny that we can be passive or that we can be strong-willed. But it's always going to follow with that. Yeah, but my wife does this. Yeah, but my husband doesn't do this. Just like them. And it's amazing how we can read this story and see so clearly that they were wrong. Like, it's so easy to sit and pass judgment on Adam and Eve, isn't it? Be like, oh, that's so obvious. Come on, give me a hard one, Pastor. But it's so hard for us to see it in our marriages. It's so hard for us to admit to it in our dating relationships. But it's so easy when it's somebody else. Okay? So what we see here with Adam and Eve is that this pattern, remember, they started out filled with fear. That was the first thing that happened. They were filled with fear. The second thing that happened was they blamed. Their fear led to their blame. And that's where I believe we discover the secret of escaping the, the blame game. Is that blame comes from your fear, not your spouse's failure. I say that again. Blame comes from your fear not your spouse's failure. We want to make blame about the mistakes of our spouse. You're this way, so I have to be this way. The, the family would fall apart if I weren't this way. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and so we want to make blame. We want to make problems about the other person. But it's not. That game will get you nowhere. There is no winner in the blame game. But blame comes from your fear, not your spouse's failure. And as soon as you can realize that, as soon as you confess up to that, you have begun escaping the blame game. And the truth is, if you can't get past this, the rest of this series isn't going to be any good to you. That's why I wanted to start with this. You sort of have to buy into this. You have to buy in to it's not about the other person. Because if you don't buy into this, you're not really going to buy into the sin of the passive man. And you probably aren't even going to buy into the redemption of the passive man. Passive, passive man. Because fundamentally, you'll believe the problem is still in your wife, not you. But the problem is in us, not our spouses. Now, now guys, you want to say, you want to say, I'm lazy because I'll know she'll do it. I don't have to do it because I know she'll do it. Okay? No, that's not what you should say. You know what you should say, guys? You know what you should say? I'm lazy because I'm afraid. I'm lazy because I fear something. 
Hey ladies, you want to say, I need to control things because he is so undependable. I need to control things. No, you need to control things because you're afraid. Because blame comes from your fear, not your spouse's failure. So what are we afraid of? In relationships and especially in marriage, what are we afraid of? Well, I picked a few ideas. And I will, most of you can probably land on one of these. Right, so guys, I'll talk to you first, okay? Here's some of the things that I believe that we are afraid of. And I, I'm pretty sure of these because I've been living this for a while, <laughs> okay? I think we're afraid of failing. Even worse, I think we're afraid of being a failure. It's one thing to just fail. It's another thing to be a failure. And I think every one of us guys are terrified of being a failure. I think we're also really afraid that if we work hard, we might still not measure up. What if you give it your best and you don't measure up? What does that say about you? What does it say about your masculinity, your identity? I think we're definitely afraid of not measuring up. And I don't know who, guys, I don't know who you're trying to measure up to, whether it's your dad, the good son of the family. So whoever you're trying to measure up, I think you live in desperate fear of not measuring up to them. And some of you might even have parents who remind you of it. That doesn't help. Okay? Guys, here's another thing that, that I think that we are definitely afraid of. That deep down, when push comes to shove, when it's on the one-yard line at the end of the game, and this is the point that matters, we won't have what it takes. We won't be Michael Jordan seeking it from the outside to win the game. We'll be Greg Rhodes sinking it and like airballing into the crowd. Because <laughs> we fear that when it really is called to us, we won't have it. I think those are some very real things we're afraid of. Okay, ladies, here's some of the things I think you're afraid of. I'm a little less confident in this because, well, I'm not a lady, okay? But I think I'm pretty close. I've been around one for a while, and we've had, a few, we've had more than our fair share of conversations, so I think I'm pretty close here. Ladies, I think you are desperately afraid that you're not good enough that you're not a good enough wife, that you're got not a good enough young, and that you're not good enough. You might even have a mother-in-law who tells you that directly, that you're not good enough. You're not good enough for their son. You're not a good enough young. You don't get up early enough to cook and clean. But I think, ladies, I think you fear that you're not good enough. Here's another thing that I think that, you'll, that you're afraid of that you'll never be content. No matter what happens, no matter how good your husband gets, you might never be content because you always want to be better. You always want a little bit more. You always want the family to have a little bit more time together. Give some more time. No, let's have some more time because there's always somebody you're comparing yourself to. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's somebody on TV or in magazines. 
Maybe it's this fictional idea you have in your head about what a wife should be. And you're always trying to meet that. Well, ladies, I think a lot of you live never through this fear that you will never be content. There's one more fear that I think, and this one I know because I've heard it. There's one more fear that I think is true. You fear you married the wrong person. You fear you made a mistake in saying yes. It might be six months down the line. It might be six years down the line. But some of you, in those really quiet moments, and you would never say this to your spouse. Or maybe if you get angry enough, you do. But you fear you married the wrong person. All of those fears, those guy fears, and those girl fears, that's what creates blame. We need to own up to our fears. Because if we don't own up to our fears, we're not going to own up to our blame. If we don't own up to our blame, we're going to constantly be making it about the other person. And it's not. Because blame does not come from your partner's failures. That's not where blame comes from. Blame comes out of your fears. Blame comes out of that list I just read. That's what creates that hypersensitivity. Ladies, that's what creates your need to have everything go well and go smoothly and be right. Guys, you're so afraid of failure, it's actually better not to do it. Take the flack, then do it and fail. It's actually better to get yelled at than have to question your very self-worth. That's a trade any guy in this room would take any day. And if you don't believe that, you're lying to yourself. Because we are desperately fearful that we're not good enough. So stop trying to blame your spouse. There are no winners in the blame game. And the only way to escape this is to own your fear. The only way to escape this is to own your fear. So in an article titled, Which Comes First? Passive men or controlling women? An author and uh, a psychologist, um, Evelyn Leet, wrote this. Both passive and controlling people suffer from little sense of their own worth. Controlling women think the people around them are dim-witted and in need of their excellent problem-solving and caretaking abilities. All the while longing for someone to take care of them. Passive men have never learned how to be responsible for themselves and need someone to blame for their lack of success and inability to thrive. She thinks he's stupid and he's smart enough to let her do all the work and worry. She looks like a bitch. He looks like a poor slob caught in unfortunate circumstances. Both are extremely dishonest with themselves. Both have dependent personalities. Both are prideful, self-centered, and caught in a web of expectations that defy reality. Boom! 
that is a truth bomb right there. <laughs> that is a truth bomb if you ever heard one. Blame comes from your own fear, not your spouse's failures. And that's how to escape the blame game. We have to start here. Because otherwise, the next four weeks won't make any sense to you. So whether you're married, single, dating, wherever you are, chances are you have got, ladies, you have got a passive man somewhere in your world. Gentlemen, chances are you have got a strong-willed woman, woman somewhere around your world. Chances are you've got a number of strong-willed women around you. Okay? Here's your chance to escape the blame game. Here's your chance to break a pattern that's pretty big. Here's your chance to stand before God, owning your sin, owning your fear, and hand it over to Him. Because it's a good thing we have a good God. It's a good thing we have a God that allays our fears. It's a good thing we have a comforting God. It's a good thing we have a powerful God. It's a good thing we have a forgiving God. Because otherwise, we'd be left to our own devices. But thankfully I am not, and thankfully you are not. Own your own fears. Because blame comes from your fears, not your spouse's fingers. Join me in prayer. God, we collectively thank you for your love for us. Regardless of our disobedience, time and time again, you love us. You forgive us. You desire a relationship with us. Lord, I'm thankful that we do not treat you like we treat our spouses. Lord, thankfully, you do not treat us like we treat our spouses, Lord. So give us the courage. I pray courage upon this congregation <laughs> for every person to be able to own their own fear. Holy Spirit, I pray that you enter each person, wherever they are in their relationship with you. Holy Spirit, enter them and open their eyes to the ways that our fear feeds our blame and hurts our spouse. God, you are powerful enough to break this pattern. You are powerful enough to bring hope and healing toward all of us passive men and all of the self-control, the, the strong will. So thank you that you are powerful enough for that. So I pray all of this. I lift this congregation. I especially lift all of the married and engaged couples. I lift them and put them in front of your throne, in front of your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand, church.